Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Very special guest joining us today, folks. No stranger at all, dear brother. He is the National Press Secretary for the Democratic Party. Brandon Gassaway joins us. Uh, he too sheltering in place like us all. Brandon, how are you? How are you making out? And how's your family doing? I'm good. I'm holding up. I mean, nobody wants to be back on the trail more than I do. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're making a way with what we have and, and what we can. Uh, family's all good. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a New Orleans boy, so we got hit pretty hard down there. But, you know, um, I think folks are, are starting to come through to the other side. Uh, and, and we look forward to hopefully getting this all put behind us. Well, and, and hopefully in getting to the other side, people realize the importance of electing Democrats. Um, as you and I know, everything's political and it is precisely because of the Republican in the White House and his underlings. I mean, just to put it bluntly, why people are dying, Brandon. Exactly. And I know some folk play say that that's not, what's the term, respectability politics? <laughs> but 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 Brandon, watch this. If you at your mama's house and you unemployed, and all you do is sit on the sofa and don't look for a job, what's your family gonna say about you? Brandon ain't trying to get no job. What are you? What is this boy doing? Right. 
so let's apply this. That we know how that affects us. So let's just apply that to other folks. If you get a warning in December and you get offers from people to make masks in January and you don't respond and people start dying as a result, what, what am I supposed to? Oh, no, he didn't really mean for people to die. That's not what he really meant. He, <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's, that's negligence, uh, willful negligence on folks' part, you know? Right. And to your point, when you say democratic leadership, democratic leadership has really made a point of putting people and the health and safety of our folks first in all of our decision making. Uh, you know, Mayor Cantrell, all the way up uh, to leaders in Congress have always had that as their priority. And if you look at this administration and the number of failures in this, you mentioned like they knew about this in January, they knew about this early. Now, if you would have said something to John Bell Edwards or said something to Latoya Cantrell, maybe we wouldn't have held Mardi Gras. Maybe we wouldn't have done those sorts of things. But, you know, the federal government was saying it's all good and it's blue and it's going to go away in April. Um, so we we're like, OK, well, we can we can go about our normal lives. And that that is the key point of why effective, competent leadership is necessary. And right now, that is only coming from the Democratic Party. Well, and again, just, just, just one more point on that. The relationship between federal, state, and local. Because this is Katrina deja vu, isn't it? You know, there was not an adequate warning from the federal level that New Orleans should have been evacuated. So here's, again, not an adequate warning from the federal level that there was a pandemic on the way. Yeah, like, think? you say that, and I... And that reminds like the day this happened, like I, I always mark this by, you know, the NBA shut down on a Wednesday. Uh, the last day of work for most of us were, was a Thursday. Um, and then we were just at home. Um, and now that, you know, we've been doing it for two months, it seems a little bit more natural. But then I had the like flashbacks to, I was a senior in high school when Katrina happened. And we evacuated the day before and for months after that, we were just sitting around, not knowing what was going on, what to do. And that's the same type of incompetent leadership uh, that you know puts people and their lives on the back burner while they worry about whether it's you know they're worrying about the money or worrying about um, you know the economy or whatever the case may be. Those things are important, but people's lives and people's dignity comes first. Yeah. Um, and that's always what we have to prioritize. Amen. Amen. You're right about that. So a uh, very important conversation that you have helped organize and, and the party is, is having um, on tonight. Tell us about making the American dream accessible and affordable to black men. So this um, this is a program I'm very very proud of. This is this is something I've worked hard on since I came on uh, board the DNC. Um, it is part of our Chop It Up series, which is a series that is devoted to talking to the issues important to Black men. I was on the campaign trail in 2016 uh, for Secretary Clinton, and one thing that I thought we could have done a better job of was speaking more intentionally and more directly to black men, specifically young black men. Um, and we've done that throughout this cycle. We've been to 
uh, Columbus, we've been to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, we've been to Atlanta and a number of other cities uh, in barbershops and other places where, you know, black men gather and have conversations to talk about what is really important to our communities and what do we want to see from our government. I always said there's three things, there's three pillars of this program. First is to be present, is to show up like, we're the Democratic Party, this is who we are, this is what we look like, this is what we sound like, and this is what we care about. Two is to be accountable. Uh, what have we not done that you would like to see us do? What have we done wrong that you would like us to see better? We wanna come in front of you so you can tell us those things. And then third, it's to empower. It's to say, hey, we are here to work for you. You know, your government is only as good as the investment you put in it. So, you know, while things may upset us, while things that happen that we feel that aren't built for us, aren't made for us, aren't, aren't benefiting us, well, it is up to us to change those things. And I want to be here to say that the Democratic Party is your vessel for whatever policy changes you want to see uh, to make those into a reality. Now, we also have to deal with the reality of the country. We have a House, we have a Senate, uh, we have uh, the executive branch and the judiciary. So we have to make things happen through those channels. But um, I always say the two most important things in politics are money and votes. Uh, and votes, and we spend the money to get votes. So if we can get a whole lot of votes together, that has more power than anything else. You can do anything in DC if you have the votes. Uh, you know, we have Republicans in Congress that say, oh, we can't spend money on this. This is too expensive, how we're gonna pay for it. But when it came time to it, we spent $2 trillion in a week because we had the votes. Um, and, and that type of empowerment to show, we can do anything we wanna do if we all get together, figure that out, and then put a plan in place to get it done. Um, and that's what this conversation is gonna be focused on. It's talking about what's on the table, what you would like to be on the table, and then how we can get those things done. And then uh, Jim Clyburn is pretty much gonna be the focus and the keynote. Jim Clyburn is the featured speaker. Um, he is going to update us on what is going on in Congress, um, you know, specifically in regards to black men. Jim Clyburn is the highest uh, elected, black male elected official in the country, is the most powerful black male in the United States government. Um, you know, both in government and politically, if you saw what happened in the primary, the, the, the type of uh, influence and the type of power we have within uh, the majority whip Jim Clyburn is immense. Um, and having that someone like that at our disposal as black men working on our behalf is an enormous benefit. Um, and if folks could tune in and, and get the ability to hear from the majority whip and, and ask questions and, and, and try to uh, understand better how our system works and how we can improve it, um, I think is a really huge benefit to folks. So, um, and obviously too, we are disproportionately dying from this disease. And I'll be honest with you, you know, Brandon, um, you know, in electoral politics, we, you know, you look at the math. And in, it, in, in the states which Hillary Clinton lost collectively by less than 100,000 votes, that Trump was able to pick up electorals in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, we are dying 
disproportionately. So I'll be honest with you, brother, and you know, talk me down. I worry that, you know, if it's only 80,000, that's all, 80,000, that our base, the votes we need from African-Americans, including black men this November, some, too many of them are dying. Those are votes we need that are dying off. Help me feel better about that. So I mean, that is absolutely true. <laughs> I, I, grow, I grew up hearing a saying, you know, when America catches the cold, uh, black, America, black America gets pneumonia. Well, when America catches COVID-19, Black America dies. Um, this is no joke. This is serious. Um, but, you know, for the electoral piece, um, the Democratic Party is fighting tooth and nail against Republicans. And Republicans are spending like $20 million trying to suppress votes. But we are fighting to make vote by mail, early voting, um, expanding the access to the electorate so you can vote and vote safely. So you can, if you want to go to the polls, you can go to the polls a week early so we can have social distancing uh, in place. If you want to stay at home and have your ballot sent to you um, and you fill it out and send it back, we're working no matter where you live to have those things happen too. So we are, we are laser focused on protecting the franchise here at the DNC to make sure that all avenues of voting are open to our community but it is an absolute truth that we are disproportionately being harmed and dying from this disease. Um, and it's not just dying, it's people that are in ICUs and hold up in the hospital for weeks at a time, which you know isn't a fun experience either. Um, and takes away from whether it be your earning potential or whatever it is that you contribute to your family, that's taking those folks out of their homes and putting them in hospital, break, hospital beds it's not putting them in graves. So we need to have leadership that's focused on that problem. Like we didn't even get those numbers until we yelled and screamed from them for this yeah. administration. Right. So um, you know, that is that is front of mind for us and making sure we have our ability to vote um, so we can put folks in power that's gonna put our health and safety first um, is definitely a priority for us at the DNC. What do we have a plan yet for the convention? So uh, we have moved the convention back uh, five weeks uh, to the week of August 17th. We have held that date. Um, we are still set to be in Milwaukee, um, but we just had a vote last week of our rules and bylaws committee um, to give our convention team, uh, our convention team that is very experienced and knows how to deal with these things that have done many conventions, before dealt with national disasters. We have given them maximum flexibility uh, to put on a convention that puts our health and safety first and consulting with local officials, um, but hopefully to still have, um, you know, some form of convention in, in Milwaukee, in-person convention. Now, they have the flexibility to scale up or scale down based on what the public health information is at the time. Um, but we will be closely monitoring that before we make any final decisions. And I wanna make this point also, um, because like we don't make these decisions in a vacuum. We have a counterpart in the RNC who has a convention in Charlotte who are making none of these types of considerations. Uh, the quote from them is full steam ahead. Um, so they're willing to put folks in harm's way and not just their people who are attending the convention, but the folks who live in Charlotte, um, who have nothing to do with their convention and can care less about their convention, 
you know, you bring, you know, tens of thousands of people to a city and it's not safe, that's not just going to affect the attendees, it's going to affect the folks in the city. So I always make a point to say, you know, we're not the only ones that are planning a political convention, but we are the only ones that are saying, hey, if we got to ease up off the gas uh, to keep people healthy and safe um, and maybe find another way to do things, that we will. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's good to know. Um, Brandon, um, let people know where they can join this town hall tonight and, and also some of the specific topics you're going to cover that impact Black men. So you can, you can go to Democrats.org um, and sign up under, under Mobilize. Uh, there's, a, there's a link there to get registered and sign up for the event. You can also go to my Twitter account. I have it up there. Uh, Brandon BG underscore um, has the information for you where you can sign up. Uh, this conversation specifically is going to focus on economics. Now, you know, we're going to have a discussion and talk to folks. So if other things come up, other things come up. But uh, we are targeting uh, this discussion to be around, you know, how we can get this bread frankly, as black men. Uh, as I mentioned, we've done these conversations all around the country and the overarching uh, concern is either I need the government to get out of my way so I can make money or I need the government to do X, Y, and Z. Or why isn't the government doing X, Y, and Z so I can have a better chance to make money, whether that's access to capital, whether that's you know giving me a break on my student loans, whether that's making sure I have access, me and my kids have access to uh, affordable schooling, whether that be college, whether that be technical school, um, all of those issues. Jim Clyburn is the author of the, I know you know this, the 10, 20, 30 plan um, to really focus uh, investment from the business community within our community. Um, so those issues we're gonna talk about because um, I think that uh, at least from the conversations I've had all around the country up until this point, I think that is most salient on the minds of our brothers is, you know, how am I going to make a living, feed my family, whether it be from a small business, whether I'm trying to go, um, you know, whether I'm a blue collar worker, white collar worker, whatever the case may be, um, you know, I want to make a living and provide and either get the government out of my way or this is what you need to be doing to work for me. So tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, chop it up, folks. Go to Democrats.org or go to uh, Brandon's um, uh, Twitter, BrandonBG underscore, uh, and get signed up. Uh, my brother, I appreciate you uh, letting us know about this. Uh, I see your official Twitter handle is now Kobe Stan. Oh, that's my guy, man. I mean, I got his book in the background here. Um, yeah, I'm noticing all them pairs of shoes you got back there, too. Uh, a lot of them are Kobe's. Most of them are Jordan's, but <laughs> a lot of them are Kobe's too. You've been, um, you been watching The Last Dance? Oh, absolutely. That's the only thing I have looked forward to, to week for week now that we have no sports. But I will say this about Kobe. Um, you know, he got drafted in 98. I was like 10 years old. He was like my first, like, you know, the first time I was a fan of a basketball player was Kobe. Um, and that work ethic, that determination to be great, and no matter is no matter what it is uh, that you do, um, is a, is a focus and the energy I try to bring to my work here, um, you know, at the DNC 
in politics and campaigning in general. It's like, hey man, you you got to control what you can control, um, and that's how hard you work. Um, so that mentality uh, really helped guide me, you know, through school and now through my career. Um, and it's a mentality I hope to try and carry on, um, you know, through my work. And you played ball for a minute too, yourself, right? Yeah, I played. Yeah, I was a I was a forward. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a game like Kobe. That's for sure. <laughs> I was a. You played, more, you, did you play in college too? Did you? No, I didn't hoop in college. Okay, okay. Uh, but I had just come off of Katrina, uh, senior year, and didn't play my senior year, so that kind of took me off track. Oh wow! Um, so Katrina did that, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't play for a year. And then when I finally started playing again, I was out of shape and I just lost the motivation for a minute. Um, wow. But you know, I, I I always love, you know, my love for basketball is never going to die. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) it'll always be there, but you know, I'm just relegated to LA fitness now. Um, (laughs) when that opens up. (laughs) So, so do you agree that Michael is the greatest of all time? Absolutely. Unequivocally. Okay. Unequivocally, the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, you know, personally, uh, second on my list as a Laker fan is is Kareem. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Kareem. See, see that's the era I grew up in. <laughs> I, I grew up in that golden area, Magic and Kareem, and you know, <laughs> so and and, yeah. and honestly, too, the doctor. You know, I I. I was showing my, I was telling people, I tell a story, I was showing my son years ago, he's 17 now, and one of his cousins, they didn't know about the doctor. And they're like, Michael, 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 Michael. And and they were kids, they, you know, he they weren't even born. Right. AI, AI, Michael, AI, Michael Cole, AI, Michael Cole. I said, let me show y'all something. So I showed them the video of the doctor in the game when he went behind the backboard in midair. Yeah, that was yeah, against the Lakers at the finals. <laughs> right, right, for that late. <laughs> And you should have seen these little kids, man. They're like 10 years old. And they were like, I mean, in miles, they'd never seen nothing like that. See, Michael was bad, but the doctor had the most hang time. Doctor could stay in there a little bit longer. But, yeah, he's uh, a student of history, man. Like, these right. people borrow from, like, in the documentary, you see Kobe say, hey, everything I got, I got from Mike. I owe these five chips that I got to Mike. That's right. But you listen to Mike, Mike's an amalgamation of, you know, Dr. J, uh, of the Iceman, <laughs> George Gervin. Yeah. Like, we they, we all borrow from these folks that come between us. Like, even if you look at LeBron, there's a whole lot of magic in LeBron's game. That's true. That's true. Uh, That's true. So, like, we, it's, all, it's all we borrow from the folks that come before us. And you yeah. always have to understand what your history is. And that's in basketball, that's in politics, that's in everything. And everything. You got to know your history. We stand on the shoulders of giants in so many ways. And yeah. You know, hoop is a is a very good example of that. Well, well, let me give you here's a brother. If you if you hear some some noise I'm making, because some folk are being a little too hard as a result of the last dance. Some folk are being a little too hard on my man Patrick Ewing. You know, I'm a Hoyer. So, <laughs> so I, Patrick's nice. He's too nice sometimes. I'm a, I might have to come out and say y'all need to ease up off Patrick now. He he did what he could do so. <laughs> so uh, I mean, he ran he ran into that Michael Jordan bus saw man and and. Like there's a whole lot of careers. Charles Barkley, uh, Carl Malone, and John Stott. There's a whole lot of Hall of Fame careers that ran into that buzzsaw and don't have rings. Um, and yeah. he's probably the leader of that group. Well, but like you said, he played 17 years. 
and and six only six of them losses were the ones to the Bulls. But I'll be honest with you, man. I remember when Michael first came up, and the Bulls had to make a decision. Michael was scoring sixty points a game, but they couldn't win. Right. Management, right. you know, talk about these organizations, and I know when the thing Krause is on there defending himself, but management has to decide to put around the supporting cast. And Charles never really had that. Patrick never really had that like he should have. So it's just impossible for one person to carry it. And I'm telling you, if the Bulls hadn't figured that out, I remember a lot of them games early on, Doctor. Oh, yeah, Michael scored 60 points, but they lost. Yeah. And it was, they wasn't even, I remember at the time, there wasn't even a hope of the Bulls winning any kind of championship. But they had Michael Jordan. And they found Scotty. Right, and then they found Scotty. You know, and then that's when, that's when it began to change. So, you know, uh, guys like Patrick, Charles, all those cats, you know, Sometimes it's that combination. That's not taking anything away from Michael. He was he was phenomenal, uh, and and driven and relentless and always hungry, too. You know, some some yeah. people get complacent. You know, you have to and 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 when he knew the hunger was fading, that's when he left. He went to play play baseball. But I mean, like these stories, Mike. The the story about the guy for the bullets who went to Chicago and scored thirty seven. Uh, and then Michael invented in his head that this guy said, good game, Mike. What he did, he could say that. And then Mike put 36 on him and a half. <laughs> like, it just like, if, if, if the fire wasn't there organically, he would invent it right. in his mind, whatever he needed to go out there and ball. And that's, yeah. that's, that's Mike. <laughs> and, and to be truthful, that's probably what also you can say he got some of that. His name may not come up in this. But I see a lot of that is similar to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. He can hype himself, you know, you know, and, and once he hyped himself and got in your head, fight was over. You know, that was, that was, he won the championship. So that's what it was. Well, um, folks, um, tonight, 7 Eastern Democrats dot uh, org. Gonna chop it up, y'all. Uh, making the American dream accessible and affordable to black men. Glad you're doing this, Brandon. Very important conversation, especially now. Because, uh, you know, Trump Trump is trying to peel off as many brothers as he can with his foolishness. I don't think it's going to work, but we need to continue to have these conversations as a party. So I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. We got to stay focused on what's important. Um, stay focused on who's working for us and who has our interest in mind and not get distracted by any of the other foolishness that's going on. Um, appreciate, appreciate, you know, you having me on um, and look forward to talking to you. All right. Thank you, Brandon. Be safe, man. Love to the family, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Joining us now, ladies and gentlemen, he's the founder and publisher of Daily Coast. Well, the founder now, as we said, more so than anything. Yes. I'm no longer the publisher, and I'm just the founder. And he's a, a, a budding YouTube show host. Uh, <laughs> the Brief on YouTube. Check it out. Um, we always appreciate having the largest online uh, progressive community. We're going to talk today about the Democratic Convention, also the latest civics numbers, civics with a Q, civics.com. Um, you ought to join that sample group too, if you like. But joining us as always from the Bay Area, Marcos Melitsis. Marcos, how are you today, man? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing great, actually. Uh, especially all things considered, I can't complain. Right. So let me just, let me start this way. Um, Bay Area, you all went down first. It was shocking when they made that announcement. Like, oh my God, how can they do that? 
you know, even those back over those of us back here in New York, but then a week later it was real for us. Um, where are you all on a reopening schedule or is there even one yet in the Bay Area? Yeah, there, there, things were eased up a little bit. So construction's now allowed uh, as long as construction crews take certain precautions and uh, some daycares for essential workers are also allowed to open. Uh, but we're still pretty, pretty tight and we're, we're buttoned down tighter than the state of California. Uh, California sort of loosening up. Some of the rural counties have more of a reason to be able to do so. Uh, but the Bay Area has not. This is why Elon Musk, you may have seen, is, is losing his mind over the fact that his factory in Fremont cannot reopen. Uh, and uh, he's daring authorities to arrest him. And I kind of hope they do <laughs> because he's absolutely lost his mind. And I say that as somebody who owns a Tesla, as somebody who was a big SpaceX fan, like I'm, I'm a, I had historically been a big Elon Musk fan, but he's lost it. He's absolutely lost it. Who's but yeah, we're about, pretty who's thinking about now. buying a Tesla right now anyway? What's that? Who's thinking about buying a Tesla right now anyway? I mean, who's thinking about buying any car right now? No, no cars are being bought right now, right? Exactly. And, 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 and they're not being penalized for it either. It's not like the stock market is hitting Tesla stock. Tesla's at an all-time high. So uh, I'm not sure why he can't just freaking relax and, and take a moment and, and wait for people not to start to wait for people to stop dying before he's talking about reopening the, uh, the factory. So, so the Bay Area itself is, is locked down through the end of this month. Um, cases are flat. They're not coming down, but they're not rising and they're flat. And I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging. Uh, I can't tell. I wouldn't see those numbers go down, but we're still well below the national, uh, well below the rates of other major urban centers and particular, particularly um, international transportation hubs uh, like New York. And I think a big part of that is that not only did we shut down before anybody else did, but we were taking this seriously before things were shut down. I mean, you, you had Andrew Como and de Blasio still saying people can go out to restaurants and, and arguing over how serious to take the virus in the Bay Area. It was taken seriously from day one. And maybe it helps that we are heavily Asian and the Asian community, of course, doesn't mess around with infectious diseases, right? I mean, they've never been embarrassed to walk around with masks when necessary. And, and that was probably an advantage for us when the, uh, when the virus first hit that so many of our, our population was already predisposed to button down in a pandemic situation. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's good to know. Congratulations on that success. So um, we're talking a little bit about civics and Trump's numbers. Um, tell the audience what you were saying to me, how sometimes Trump's he wants to be visible. He wants to be ubiquitous. But how sometimes that may, in fact, hurt him. And is he finally getting that memo, do you think? And is that why he's not doing those, as many of those stupid daily press conferences as he was doing? Well, for sure, the, the public polling has shown Joe Biden with significant national leads and leads in, in some of the key battleground states as well, the ones that are being polled more often. So it was clear to at least a Trump campaign that those daily press conferences, you know, and telling people to inject Clorox and shove UV lights up their butts, clearly that was having a uh, negative effect on his poll numbers. And he finally somehow convinced them to stop. But 
one of the things that we, we notice in our numbers is that when he stopped doing those press conferences, his numbers started inching up. Now, so everybody understands, numbers don't move a lot. When I'm talking about inching up, I'm talking one to two points. But we all know that in 2016, Donald Trump won by 10,000 votes in Wisconsin and 20,000 votes in Michigan. I mean, these were margins that were a tenth of a percent. And so if you move the numbers 1%, it actually matters. It really matters in a 50-50 election. So we saw his numbers inching up and we had Biden at plus six nationally. No, plus five, plus five. Uh, 48, 43, 49, 44, it was hovering around there. Now we are more pessimistic than a lot of the national polling. You've seen some of these gaudy numbers where Biden's up by 10 or by 12. I don't buy those. I think they're overly optimistic, but that's just to say that, yeah, we are a democratic pollster obviously, but we were seeing numbers that weren't as gaudy good for Biden. And we started seeing that narrow down, down to a plus three Biden lead nationally. And, and uh, so it seemed to be that keeping out of sight was sort of working for Donald Trump. And then on May 3, things reversed. And now we're back up to a all-time Biden lead of plus six, 49-43. And so um, as, as you know, we saw this play out and you had to wait a few days to make sure that it's not just noise or statistical random, yeah, noise, uh, but it was real. I mean, these numbers sort of widened back up. And, and so, you know, I was like, what, what happened on May 3 that changed everything? Because we're in this news cycle now where every day you're bombarded with information, right? So it's hard for anything to really punch through. So went in and dug in and looked at the May 3 uh, headlines. It was his interview with Fox News at the Lincoln Memorial. That's what turned things around. It's one, the gaudiness and the disrespect to history in shutting the monument down to public use for his own aggrandizement. So I think all those played into that. But I'm pretty convinced that the more people see of Donald Trump, the worse he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the things he says, are just one train wreck after another. You know? Yeah, I don't even know if what he says matters anymore, to be, to be honest. I think just a reminder that he's gonna, every time he gets up and he says, just stupid, whatever he says is stupid, by default, it's stupid. He hasn't said a smart thing, maybe ever. Yeah. It just yeah. reminds people. And there's, a, there's this phenomenon in the polling that we're, we're catching on and, um, NBC Wall Street Journal poll also caught, it's this phenomenon of the double hater, right? These are people that hate both candidates. Nobody loves both candidates. That person doesn't exist for good reason. So there's the people who hate both candidates. And in 2016, Donald Trump significantly won the double haters. People who said, I hate Hillary Clinton and I hate Donald Trump. They voted for Trump by something like 50-20. It was two to one, it was significant. It was a big factor, in fact, to Donald Trump winning that election, the double haters. So the double haters are back. But this time, we've just seen them in three separate polls. The double haters are breaking for Biden by a factor of, depending on the poll, according to our polling, 40-10, 40% Biden, 10% Donald Trump. Uh, the NBC Wall Street Journal had it even better. It was 60, like it was like 60-15. Mm. So Biden, Donald Trump. So. I'm convinced that it's these double haters. They, they, they see 
Donald Trump are like, ugh, right? And Joe Biden's invisible. I mean, maybe if Joe Biden got up and talked, maybe they'd feel the same way, who knows? But Joe's invisible, and whether by design or by accident, it's actually working really well for, for Joe Biden and the Democrats to just keep Donald Trump in the spotlight. And really, in the end, this is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump. It's going to be a referendum on the coronavirus response. And so I'm not sure there's anything Joe Biden can do at this point that would be better than just Donald Trump digging his own grave, which appears to be what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Simultaneously, while he's literally digging the graves of of so many Americans uh, with with the way this virus is is being addressed. Um, What did you think about Fauci's hearing this week? Where, I mean, he clearly spoke his mind, said everything we expected him to say. Trump's still in denial about it. I, I, you know, I just, is he going to fire Fauci or is he going to continue down this, um, this road of, of what, you know, the Russians employ, the fog of unknowability, where everybody just says everything and confuses everyone. So, I mean, I, I don't see how anyone reasonably can look at Fauci and still support or have any regard for Trump. I mean, unless you, because the normal person who's sane, we don't have to be intelligent. Don't have to be college educated. Most people don't engage in hourly cognitive dissonance, Marcos, in their own personal lives. So the doctor says, we don't need to reopen too soon. This crazy president whom these people still support says, we're gonna do it anyway. I mean, I mean, it's something, people have to get it more and more, I would think. I mean, you'd really have to be tripping <laughs> not to, to get it. Yeah. And in fact, Donald Trump is now opening up a new front. Now he's going to start claiming that the 80,000 dead and counting, I think we're almost at 85,000, um, that those numbers are wrong, that, that the numbers are fake news. And he's been arguing this privately which is sort of the trial balloon before he starts tweeting this out. So, you know, within the next couple of days, he'll be arguing that if he isn't already, who knows, he probably was up all night tweeting. Um, he'll be arguing that those numbers aren't even real. And I don't think he cares about um, what other people in his administration are saying at this point. I mean, Donald Trump's kind of his superpower is his ability to walk into any room and say what he needs to do say what he needs to say to win that moment. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about whether he's being consistent or hypocritical or whether he said the exact opposite yesterday or five years ago on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has zero shame. I mean, I, I envy it. I don't want it, but, <laughs> but I envy that ability to just completely disregard any information that he himself has said to win that moment. And so... Fossey can say whatever he wants, and, and I don't think Trump cares because he will tweet to his faithful and to his followers and to Fox News and Fox and Friends what they want to hear, and they will disregard everything else. And it's sort of a strength and a weakness, of course. It's a weakness, obviously, because he is completely um, either he's, he's unaware or just simply doesn't care what the rest of the country thinks. And that puts them in a very, very difficult position because this was, this was a no-brainer. You have a national emergency all over the world, even in the hardest hit countries like Italy and France, you have people rallying around their leaders. Just because people want to believe in leadership, 
when right. stuff was going to hell. And so for Donald Trump to not be a beneficiary of that really points to just how hard he worked to not be a beneficiary of that, to not care about what the broader American public wanted. And that is reflected in not just Trump's really poor numbers, but also in the governors. Almost every single state's governors have sky high approval ratings right now. The exception being Georgia, Brian Kemp, who has been very Trumpian in his refusal to acknowledge the, the pandemic and the, and the effects it's having on, on, his, uh, on his people. So um, it's, uh, again, it's a, it's a strength that he can walk in and say whatever he wants, and it makes his, people, his friends on Twitter and the Republican Party happy, and it makes Fox and Friends happy, but it puts him in real danger. And where it's really starting to show up and it's starting to freak out the Trump campaign, because we've seen several stories on it, is with, with uh, those over 65-year-old voters, uh, white, over 65. They are the most reliable voting constituency. Donald Trump won them by uh, six points in 2016. Right. And he was winning them by about 15 points in our polling uh, midway through his term. They liked his special brand of uh, obnoxiousness and racism. And they are starting to abandon him. They are shedding, uh, and we have him down nine points with that constituency overall from the, from the height. So now he's only up maybe three, four points amongst seniors over the age of white, over 65 voters. And again, you think, oh, it's only six points, or it's only nine points. Those numbers matter when the seven battleground states are 50-50 battles right now. Is, is this whole Obamagate thing and that desperation in that regard? Do, first of all, you tell us. He couldn't tell us at the press. Who, what is Obamagate? What's Obamagate? <laughs> I still don't know what it is. And he was asked straight up what it was, and he couldn't say what it was. Oh, you know what it is. Your newspaper doesn't write about it, exactly. but it's obvious. It's obvious to everybody. He has no freaking <laughs> clue what it is. So what they're doing, they're doing, they're doing two things. It's so obvious, right? The first one is they're trying to Hillary him to make him so toxic that he can't go on the campaign trail and um, and uh, advocate for Democrats and Joe Biden. That's right. the first one. I mean, it's going to fail so hilariously bad. Right. Um, Obama is actually popular. He's po obviously he's popular with Democrats, and getting out the vote is going to be a critical component of the Obama's. Um, I think. Uh, strategy moving forward but he's also popular with independents that otherwise don't like either trump or joe biden those double haters so he um he's going to be a potent force and they, they know that and they're trying to to minimize that but but the second one is they're trying to discredit the entire russian investigation and it seems obvious to everybody at, at this point that he's tr he the the end result of this is they're gonna rescind those indictments against those russian officials that led the disinformation campaign on behalf of Donald Trump because he is impeached. He knows that his, that's in his legacy. It kills him that it is. And so if he's going to go down this year, he's going to go down making sure that every one of those allegations are as discredited as, as possible. And so making Obama out to be this, the, this is projection, of course, right? making Obama to be as politicized and as, as cutthroat 
in destroying his enemies using the implements of the state um, is part of that strategy. Is he, he needs to turn Obama into what he himself clearly is. I don't think anybody really believes it's going to happen. I don't even think Republicans themselves, aside from Trump, think it's a smart strategy. But Trump does what Trump does, right? I mean, he does what, he, what his gut tells him. And that's clearly what's eating him inside and what's driving that whole Republican nonsense, which nobody can explain still. Nobody can explain. Other than what, he criticized Donald Trump. And they're having the vapors because he criticized Donald Trump. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and he's it's even cool. given, he's give, his reaction has even made that more prominent. Obama really didn't say anything that profound. He didn't say anything that most other people don't think. And you know what? Only real, super political people like us know or understand that, you know, presidents don't really comment on other presidents once they leave office. It's the opposite with the average person. I have people ask me, Mark, why didn't Obama do something? I said, what do you want to do? Why can't he do something? I mean, the average person doesn't get that. They see Obama and they kind of want him to say and do more. Help. I do too. <laughs> I do yeah. too. Yeah. But, but you know, he's not supposed to. So, but, so he's just freaking out. And Obama is, 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 is absolutely right in, in what he said. Um, speaking of Obama and the Democrats and what needs to be done, um, the convention, you feel that the Democrats should just have a virtual convention. And of course, folks, as we've discussed, Marco's considered um, running for chair of the party. And as a friend, I would, have not, I would not have let him do that alone. I would have been right there by his side. I would have asked to be vice chair. We would, I think we would have had a ball. But anyway, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I love Tom. I'm not knocking Tom in any way. He's a friend. But I'm just saying if that had happened and Tom didn't do it, you know, maybe we would have done it. So, but you think there should... You think there should be a virtual convention as opposed to even trying to? Right. I, I mean, it's it's clear that there should not be an in-person convention. It, it's, it would be reckless and dangerous both to our uh, delegates, which include our all our elected officials, include our super activists. Do we really want to knock them out and maybe lose some before the election? Just yeah. from a strict uh, <clears throat> practicality standpoint, Beyond morality, morality is clear. You don't put anybody at risk. But you're also putting residents of Milwaukee at risk by bringing in people that may be infected, by, by forcing them together at a time that, that we shouldn't be bringing people together. It's, it's a no-brainer. Don't, don't have the convention. Um, there's just no scenario that makes sense to have in-person convention. So then the argument is, well, Republicans are going to accuse Democrats of being cowards while they themselves have a convention. And one, who gives a crap what the Republicans say, right? They want to, they want to have a COVID party in, 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 up in North Carolina. Um, I feel bad for North Carolina, but that's... I, I hear North Carolina want them to come. The people in Charlotte don't want them to come. I doubt it. I, I hope people, everybody goes in and waits on them. I hope right. it's, it's, they got to wait, they got to bust their own tables, right? Cook yeah. their own meals. Right. But... Um, but I looked, I was like, is it, it, would it be dangerous for us to not have a convention? How important is a convention to, uh, to a nominee's numbers? And so what I did is I, I looked at the 2016 cycle and, and Donald Trump's convention balance was less than a point, which is actually within the margin of error. And, and I'm talking the aggregate of polls by 538. That's what I looked at. Donald Trump got a 
little teeny bump that went away very, very quickly. Hillary Clinton got a little more substantial bump. Hers was about three points, but within two months, it was gone. And so there, there's this thing, get a little technical here. There's a thing in polling called response bias, which means that when somebody's excited about a, uh, an event, they're more likely to answer the phone and answer questions. And if you're bummed out, you are not. So after uh, Obama had a really good debate against Mitt Romney, Democrats were really excited to tell pollsters how they loved Obama and Republicans were like, Ugh, Mitt Romney, and they didn't answer the phone. So it looked like Obama got a big bump. It went away within two weeks. So this is what happened with the convention. Those bumps don't look real. And in fact, what blew my mind, I didn't know this, I hadn't seen this, the aggregate lead that Hillary Clinton had on Donald Trump before the convention, so we're talking in, in, in late May, early June, the lead that she had was 1.6 points, 1.6 points lead. The final margin on election day was Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 1.7 points. So virtually the same. You could almost, almost argue that the conventions didn't matter, the debates didn't matter, the billion dollars in attacks didn't matter, none of that mattered because people's opinions were locked and set in stone. And so, yeah, you're gonna have a little bit of movement in the margins. And if we had a little bit more movement in the margins, Hillary Clinton would have won. But um, the, the, the reality is that the convention doesn't move that much numbers. But I looked at the favorability of the parties and the Democratic Party got no bump out of their convention. The Republicans did actually, they got about a 10 point bump. But the reason they had a bump is because they were more divided, believe it or not. Yeah, we think Hillary, Bernie, right? They, the Republicans were more divided because the Christian right wasn't really aboard Donald Trump at that point and it took the convention with a bunch of people like Huckabee talking about how Trump actually in fact was a very moral president we all laughed when we were watching right but it actually worked it actually helped unite their party and today both parties are equally united it's about 82 percent of Democrats support the Democratic Party about 81 percent of Republicans support the Republican Party so even on that front as, as far as a party building unite the party front it doesn't really seem like it's necessary this year. So what are you missing? You're missing, you're spending a lot of money, you're putting people at risk. So you can have some parties and drop some balloons. And yeah, it's gonna suck. Uh, keep in mind Barack Obama's big sort of introduction to the, to the nation was speaking at, at the 2004 Democratic primary in Boston, uh, uh, convention in Boston. Right, so it's an opportunity to introduce us to like the new and up and coming and, and new talent in our party, but do we really need that as much in the world of the internet? We don't yeah. need a convention for Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez or for Ayanna Presley to wow everybody. They're, they're already doing that. Thanks right, yeah, who, who's out there that we don't already know? I mean, when and Obama did it. somebody, but, but uh, yeah, you're okay. right. The, but I mean, at this point, if you don't know how to use social media to build your brand, then you, you don't have much of a future nationally in politics because that's where politics is going anyway. So yeah, the ones that matter, the ones that are great, we know about them already. And there may be some state senator somewhere that we haven't seen yet, but we don't need the convention to find her. She'll come up, she'll, she'll emerge uh, eventually. And so I, I'll actually miss the convention. I actually will miss the balloon drop. But is it going to hurt us electorally? 
I don't see how, I don't see anything in the data that suggests that we need it to, to defeat Trump. And that's, I think, what matters in the end. Yeah, yeah, it, it does matter. It does, make, it does make the most sense. Well, we'll see. I know that there's a lot of deliberation going on even as we speak as to what uh, the Democrats um, um, may or may not do. Um, including, I know there's another option of only convening literally the delegates. You know, the yeah, most yeah. convention you had the delegates in it, but let's, why don't we, you just have a couple thousand delegates? Yeah, you still, and yeah. Yeah, but, but still there's the risk. And if you're talking about Milwaukee, New York's the epicenter, obviously, but um, they are, they are, epicenter to me is relative. So New York's, New York's a big city, of course. But in a place like Milwaukee, where, you know, it's decimating the population, particularly African-Americans, is risky unless you literally shut down a section of the city and quarantine it off two weeks in advance you know yeah, bring yeah. people in i mean and it and, you know because then people are going to want to go out to get things to eat and patronize certain businesses then do the people on the ground do they risk coming into the quarantine to serve those you know um i'd even suggest you know miller park you know you 60,000 seats you put a couple thousand people in there you got plenty of social distancing but when you're not in the park, you got to be in the hotels, you got to be in the restaurants, in the bars. So, uh, and then, man, you know, I, I really wonder how many Democrats want to risk getting on a plane at this point, too. I mean, do, you know, do, do is that really worth it? There's, there's a lot of anxiety more than ever before that would go into even attending the convention for the, for the, the individual. A lot of anxiety. So that sounds... I mean, I think what you're saying, the other thing too I would say about that, I like, you know, you, you and I aren't nerds per se, but we, we like technology and we, we're fascinated. Oh my God. You're a nerd. Not, you're not like the average nerd. I mean, you have personality, you know, you're not. But, <laughs> um, but, but I'm saying that to say, I think this moment, because I've been talking to other people, other people in the clergy and in churches even, this is an opportunity to figure out alternative means of gathering other than what we've traditionally done because of this virus. We really have no choice. So, you know, Zoom may, may not be the perfect thing right now. People are using it, but, but what is the platform? What is the, the medium by which we can never be caught off guard again and unprepared? You know, this will probably not be the last pandemic in our lifetime. I hope, I hope it is, but who knows? So, so rise to the challenge, even as a party, there's a way to really still be involved without risking everybody's physical well-being. Challenge that, you know, bring out the best to figure that out and make it happen. I, I, I think that's worthwhile. Uh, I think, you know, we got a glimpse of that from the hearing this week. I mean, Congress actually pulled off a, a distance hearing, you know. Um, Supreme Court. Think, yeah. The Supreme Court even. Oh my God. I mean, this we we don't hear Supreme Court arguments live like that. I mean, no, never they, happened they before. should all be that way forever. That's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I don't know how they go back to what it was before after you give us that, you gotta <laughs> keep it up. So, you know, I, I, I think that that this is a moment for us all to be challenged while we're looking at a vaccine. Well, what is the vaccination for what is bound to be an extended amount of distance going forward. What is the vaccination for a medium that can bring us all together 
um, without risking um, everybody's life. So, and he's not you know, that. remember the early talking point about how many people the flu killed, right? Even that itself, we can mitigate by being more careful about wearing masks and doing more meetings online and, and not cramming people into uh, office complexes. So there may be lessons here that don't just apply to the pandemic, but even to more run-of-the-mill infectious diseases that are killing tens of thousands of people and you don't even notice because it's only, because it's normal and it shouldn't be normal. Yeah. Well, I confess on a personal level, I'm not excited about getting back on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not. I mean, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just not. Um, there was a situation recently where I almost had to. And then the story came out, and I'm here at LaGuardia, Lord have mercy. <laughs> the story came out about folks being sick at LaGuardia. You get to the airport, planes are canceled because they find out the crew overnight got sick. Yeah, It's too unpredictable. So you you in a stuck in an airport that's infected, trying to get on a canceled plane that was infected. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't see a whole lot of folk clamoring, even delegates, to get to Milwaukee uh, if they don't have to. Uh, I, I just think it's risky. Yeah, and you know, Mark, the, the number one story on Daily Coast last week was a story that I wrote um, on Sweden. And yeah. this came up again because uh, on Tuesday, Rand Paul, during those hearings, was saying that we need to do the Sweden model. Right. And the Sweden model is not close anything. Right, that's the Sweden model. That's just to go on as if nothing. And what's uh, not surprising, and first of all, Sweden, 50% of Swedes live by themselves. And they have one of the best universal healthcare systems, right? So any of these Republicans that want Sweden model, okay, give us universal healthcare. And then we could even start considering the Sweden model, right? But then what happened in Sweden, what's not surprising is they're rising fast in deaths per capita. They're, I think, the sixth or fifth largest now in the world, and they are skyrocketing. It's, it's, a, it's becoming a mess in Sweden. But what's not, I mean, what was surprising, I, didn't, I did not see this coming, is that per the International Monetary Fund projections, Sweden is projected to have the, wor the worst economic contraction in all of Europe. So they kept everything open in order to save the economy, and not only are people dying in droves, but their economy is in the gutter and getting worse. And, and what happens is that dead people aren't good for the economy, believe it or not. Who knew, right? Yeah. If you see every other human as a potential vector for disease, there's not an economy. And until that stops, and this is what Trump doesn't understand. This is what Republicans don't understand. That's what those idiots with guns at state capitals don't understand, is that you don't save an economy when people are being infected and dying by the tens of thousands. And so, Rand Paul, I wanted to say, yeah, look at the Swedish model and tell me what about the Swedish model is so interesting to you or so appealing to you. Is it the, is it the fact that the death rates are higher than in the United States right now per capita? Or is it that the economy is contracting at an even higher rate than in the United States? Is that the part that's attractive to you. So, good point. <sighs> but they're anti-science. They're anti. They're anti-reality. Anti-statistics. It's it's all about what their gut says, their ideology says, and it's all about what freedom, and it's getting people killed. It is. It is. And again, I was a little surprised about Sweden. I I thought the Swedes were a little smarter than that. I I didn't know they were that. They could be that dumb. I mean, they they really banked on the fact that they were a solitary people. 
I mean, fifty percent live by themselves is shocking. Yeah, yeah. So they were ba- banking on that, and they were banking on their really, really amazing healthcare system. Yeah. And apparently, the virus doesn't give a damn about either of those things. He's the founder of Daily Coast, and therefore the founder of Thursday Coast, which we do every Thursday. Always a pleasure to have him, Marcos Melissa. Check him out at DailyCoast.com. Uh, and the brief on YouTube. Does that air live on YouTube when you do no, it? No, I record it. In fact, I'm recording it um, right after this, and then it'll air a few hours later. So the production people can, uh, can uh, do what they need to do. Check out the brief, y'all. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Marcos. All right, you do the Take care, buddy. All right. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.